RadioInfluence.com. What's up, y'all? Welcome to another edition of A Place for My Head. We have an amazing guest today, uh, which I will announce in a little bit. Um, but first and foremost, uh, I'm saddened to announce that my co-host Jerry Pizza will not be with us today. Um, he is dealing with some medical issues, which he has released a statement uh, a while ago detailing what's going on. But the short of it is he's developed and was diagnosed with uh, Bell's palsy. Uh, apparently, he was at dinner with family and friends uh, the other night and uh, the left side of his body, tongue and face started to droop. Tongue went numb and what and all happened in about five to ten minutes and everybody was freaking out including himself i'm sure um but it's nothing to worry about everybody thought it was a stroke at first but it's not it's uh bell's palsy i don't know anything about the that you know diagnosis or disease what you know just th i think about him and his family and friends and uh thoughts and prayers towards him uh always uh he's a amazing individual and i love him to death and i wish him a speedy recovery uh and i know he would love to be on this show um today uh and uh, i will greatly miss him as i will have to fill some big shoes while interviewing this great person uh mr jason redman Very excited, very happy to have a guest like this today. Uh, please, everybody, welcome Jason Redman. Brandon, what's up, man? What's up, peeps? How's everybody doing out there? Oh, man, you know, I think usually my co-host will always ask me how I'm doing, and I always give a sigh like, because ah, I have the podcast, I have uh, my new barbershop that opened up in September, and so I'm... I, really had my hands full but uh, uh no side no no side this show i'm i'm actually doing really well and i'm happy um so things things are looking up how about yourself man nice yeah man i'm good i mean it's uh 2020 has been a crazy year it's been a year of struggle for everyone uh myself included i mean i'm sure like you and so many out there you know we had big goals in 2020 and then covid came along and just punched us all in the face and yeah. you know i work in the event industry so i stand on stages all the time and all that came to a grinding halt and it kind of left, left me trying to figure out like ah where do i go from here yeah um but, you know, it became a little bit of a blessing in disguise because it allowed me to do some things that I haven't done before, helping a friend start another business and then uh, uh, develop some new content that I'm going to be launching in 2021. So, so that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Like it's such a loaded uh, statement with COVID related things. You know, I, I, I've said it before in the show, but I literally signed my lease on March 4th, I think. And that was the same week quarantine hit. And it's like, what? You know, I had a 90 day build up for my, for my shop and it took me six, six months to build. So every, I don't care how high up on the totem pole or how low everybody got affected in some way, shape or form. And oh, yeah. what you're saying really hits home for me because you're, you know, a speaker, entertainer, stage, all that kind of stuff. I tour manage bands uh, for a while all over the world. And those guys, you know, the, I'm, and I'm speaking directly, not not only the bands, they're suffering too because they're not touring, but 
the entertainment industry and the people that set up those shows and tour and, and roadies, you know, all those guys, um, they grind it out, you know, they, they've had nothing to do because usually when in between tours and whatnot, they would come home and go work at their local concert venue, loading in and stuff like that just to, to, to kind of pass the time to the next tour. They can't even do that. So everybody's been affected and, and, you know, prayers and all that kind of stuff out to everyone that's, that's going through hardships right now. Yeah. And it's just, uh, I think it's even further compounded by, you know, those who are sitting around the uncertainty, there's so much negativity out there. I mean, you throw the election on top of it, you throw, you know, some of the, uh, uh, civil unrest. And I, I feel like we're very divided right now as a nation, all of that together just adds a level of stress and negativity on top of everything. And if you're not careful, if you're not managing that, it's real easy to get sucked into it. Absolutely. I mean, we were, we were in for it before COVID with the election and how divided this country is right now. Right. I mean, and, and, and it just complicated everything and made everything so much worse. And now it's politicized and all that kind of stuff. And people are just uneasy and nothing's normal. You know, families are bickering because we're at home working and all kinds of stuff. It's just, it's, it's, I say it all the time, but I feel like I'm in the twilight zone seeing people walking around with masks. It's just like, didn't this happen like in like 19, like 20 or something? And we are past this now, like what's going on. So it's, yeah, it's yeah. tough, man. It's tough to, to, to face, man. It really is. It is. It is. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I, myself included, but I think, you know, there are tools and that's what I try and teach people. You know, you focus on what you can control and you look at just every day. Can you move the needle just a little? It's a big thing that I talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's small, tiny advances, you know, it might not be these great big goals that we all thought we were going to knock out or felt like we could knock out. Instead, it becomes these little tiny, little, little, little steps, man. That's all it is. And as long as you're making those little steps, yeah, that's what it's all about. Baby steps, right? Yeah. How was your, how was your Halloween? It was good. It was quiet. Um, the, um, yeah, we, we normally our neighborhood has a ton of people and we really didn't have that many. Um, we, we actually it was funny. My wife and I had different ideas on how we were going to try and, you know, be covid friendly. <laughs> so uh, I, I was going to go get like these sticks that like like big sticks that I tapped into the ground. And then I was going to put like, you know, the potato chip clips. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to screw those to the top and then, you know, like clip the candy bars to them and then kids could just come up and pull them off. And my wife, she came up with the idea of buying like these little shish kebab skewers and we taped candy bars to them and just stuck them in the ground. So they just came up and took the whole thing. So then, <laughs> you know, you only my, my plan, you had to keep touching it. So her plan was better in the long run. We went with her plan. Hey, sometimes you have to go with the wife's ideas, right? Yeah. 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 And more often than not, you know, yeah. so I've been I've been married. We've been together 22 years. We've been married 20 years. I listen to her a lot. <laughs> hey, hey I, I'm in the same boat. Not quite as long. Ten years, uh, married nine, and I I have to listen to her because <laughs> uh, yep. you know she's she's she balances me out and keeps keeps me grounded. Um, I have to. Amen. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah. We went. Um, I, last night was very uneventful. Halloween for the neighborhood. We usually we don't get many people in, but but I only had two and. Uh, but I was still happy to see that some people went out, but, uh, we did, uh, and this is the last COVID thing I'll talk about, but we did, a. it's called a trunk or treat at our school 
where yeah, yeah, yeah. you know people put, like uh, they all park and they pop the trunks and they decorate them and let the kids from the school she's in kindergarten so go around and you know trick or treat and stuff like that and that was really fun it was good to see all the kids out there it breaks my heart that everybody's in masks uh, but whatever but there was literally <laughs> one of my favorite movies or like of all time like sets is anything back to the future and there was a car that was kind of dressed up or decorated as uh the DeLorean the time machine and nice. this, the the mother had a face mask on that said, do not set whatever that thing is in the thing to 2020. <laughs> yeah, that, that is my favorite meme. I mean, there's so many good memes this right. year, but somebody posted that meme a couple months ago. And I was like, greatest meme of the year. Winner, All day. You know, like, yeah. Marty, whatever you do, do not stop in 2020. Yeah. Go to, go to, go to 1985 or whatever you did way in the future, but not 2020. Don't go to yeah, yeah. It sucks. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but, but let's get into, uh, uh, I mean, you're obviously you're an all around badass. Uh, you know, uh, you're retired Navy, Navy SEAL, all that kind of good stuff. I just, I want to hear about yourself um, and your story. And I know everybody's going to appreciate it. So floor is yours, my man. Yeah, Brandon. Thanks, brother. I mean, it's just uh, it's uh, pretty kind of a it's been a wild ride. I'll be honest. Uh, it's a story of um, I don't know. It's a story of chasing your dreams when I was a young man, and um, interesting how oftentimes our dreams, uh, what we envision, isn't always uh, uh, the same as what you achieve and, and, and not in a bad or a good way. It just, you know, sometimes for me, I think the idea of war and being a seal was very romanticized um, as a kid. And, uh, and I kind of bought into that hook, line and sinker. And then, you know, I made it, uh, obviously I made it into the seal teams and I did very well pre nine 11. Um, was an interesting time in the military because we were doing a lot of training and I actually was doing, um, I ended up doing counter drug work, working down in central and South America. So, which, you know, here I was, man, super young. I mean, I was, I was, I joined the Navy when I was 17. Um, I graduated SEAL training when I was only 19 and found myself in central and South America at 20. Um, you know, uh, tracking drug runners and things like that. And, um, and then, but really excelled. I was doing very well, excelled, got selected for a commissioning program or I got selected to become an instructor, was running training at my uh, SEAL team and then got selected for a commissioning program and picked up for that commissioning program in um, the end of 2000. And I actually started school in 2001. And, uh, here I am, man, I'm just clipping along, you know, living, living the high life, man. Um, you know, everything that I ever dreamed as a young man, I mean, I made pretty good money as a young seal. I mean, I wasn't a millionaire, but for a kid that was grew up poor who used to wear hand-me-downs, um, I, I definitely was making pretty darn good money. How old were you when uh, you, uh, when you were a seal, when you finally got in? I was, uh, 19 when I got my trident, so I'm 19 years old and, uh, and definitely, you know, it's, it's a very elite community. Um, I oftentimes see, uh, young seals in some ways are kind of similar to professional athletes. You know, you've made it at this very high level 
And, um, and it, maybe it's not money, but you were presented with some pretty high level opportunities. I mean, you're given millions of dollars in, you know, weapons and, and, and machinery and equipment. And, you know, you're, you're, you go all over the world doing pretty high profile things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, it is a pretty amazing career. And I think for a lot of, just like you have professional athletes, I think it's easy to get a little enamored with who you are. And I think I started buying into that, you know, I started getting a little bit of ego and arrogance. Well, I'll say one of my favorite commercials ever, uh, you know, because the Navy has it, Army and uh, the Marines and all that kind of stuff. But I can't remember what um, what branch it was, but uh, it was you know, the commercial ended and it was all badass and flying jets and craziness and stuff like that. But it was, a uh, when was the last time someone, uh, made a movie about your job? And I was like, man, that's dope. That's badass. <laughs> 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 that's, that's funny. Um, I actually, I, I created a uh, nonprofit some years later after I was wounded and it was called uh, wounded wear. It was like, clo- it started out as clothing, for uh wounded warriors and for people that support people that get wounded anyways one of the very first shirts uh my daughter inspired it and it was uh she wanted to bring me to show and tell after i got all shot up and i know we're kind of fast forward in the story we'll we'll go back (laughs) but uh the shirt said you know is your dad cool enough for show and tell oh yeah that's awesome so yeah yeah so it's pretty funny oh Um, man gotta gotta love being dads gotta love being dads. yeah man it's awesome so (laughs) But yeah, but yeah go ahead. going back to where we were, um, you know, I excelled in my career and then uh, I got selected for a commissioning program and uh, the Navy uh, sent me to school in the uh, summer of 2001. I started school. And of course, we all know what happened in September of 2001. Uh, the yes, world kind of changed. Yeah. And, uh, and I watched a lot of my friends while I was in school go off to war. And, you know, things really changed. The SEAL teams really changed. Um, I stayed in school and came back. And although I was still active duty in the Navy, I was still in the Navy and it was my job to go to school. I went to school year round. I was assigned to the ROTC unit and different leadership positions in there while I went to school and then got my commission in 2004 and um, stepped back into the SEAL teams thinking, hey, man, I, you know, I've been an enlisted SEAL. I've done real world things already. I was an instructor. You know, I, I graduated number one out of my um, ROTC um, class of 300 and I don't know, 20 some students. And uh, really kind of thought, man, I am like, you know, God's gift to leadership. I'm going to crush this and came back into the SEAL teams and everything had changed. So, um, because we had been a peacetime military and now suddenly we we're a wartime military and an interesting thing about the military. And I don't know if, um, I don't know if I necessarily see this quite the same in business, but definitely in the military, we have a tendency to, um, run our training off the last major war because that's the last time that you saw sustained combat and the individuals who saw that combat typically are the ones that run training. So the SEAL teams were actually still running. All of our training was based off the last time we had been at major sustained war, which was Vietnam. 
I mean, oh, the wow. teams had definitely done uh, some, you know, skirmish combat operations. But the last time we had been in day in, day out war was Vietnam. Well, when we got to Iraq and Afghanistan, we quickly figured out that uh, <laughs> the jungles, yeah, jungles of Vietnam were significantly different from uh, the deserts and mountains of Iraq. And obviously technology had changed things. So there was kind of a major rewrite of how we did things. And uh, so when I came back, you know. Did After Desert Storm have anything to do with uh, any of those changes? Uh, you know, we, we learned a little bit in Desert Storm, but it wasn't long sustained combat. It was just small skirmish missions. And there's a difference between, you know, at any time, whether peacetime or not, Special Operations Forces, SEALs, Green Beret Rangers, Air Force Special Tactics Units, they're doing operations around the world. Peacetime were in war. I mean, I'm sure you guys saw on the news the other day uh, that a um, that a high level SEAL team actually rescued an American citizen in a mm-hmm. hostage rescue. Mm-hmm. So pretty awesome, and uh, very awesome. I don't, um, and I love seeing that. It was amazing to be involved and to train at that level that you could do that. And it's even a huge, it's even a bigger tribute, in my opinion. Um, you know, for all the faults of America, people want to focus on negative things. But I tell you what, America is one of the best countries in the world. And to have a military that has that capability, that if American citizen gets in trouble, we can send highly trained people to come rescue you. Hell is a pretty yes. amazing thing. <laughs> so, and it was awesome to be a part of units that had the ability to do that. So, so anyways, but back then pre nine 11, and it wasn't that we weren't capable. It just that, you know, sustained combat operations, doing things every single day where you're conducting missions every day. That's a different animal than going and doing maybe one-off missions like what happened in desert storm. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the bottom line is we really had to kind of, reconfigure how we were doing training and how we were conducting operations to adjust to the war and the environment. And also the other thing, you know, the enemy we were fighting was very different. Um, you know, Al Qaeda and this terrorist threat, um, it was a very, um, ambiguous war. I mean, you, you, it was very difficult to lock down and figure out who the enemy was. I mean, they, they, there were no uniforms, there was no military. They blended in with the population um, they use the population to their advantage. They use the population as human shields. They were not afraid to kill people in the population to accomplish what they wanted to do. So anyways, long story short, it just, it changed the way we do things. Mm-hmm. And I came back as a young leader, a new leader thinking, Oh, you know, I, I already know how to do all this. Cause I've been in for a while. And that really wasn't the case. Um, everything had changed. And this is where you get yourself in trouble as a leader. If you already think, you know, everything, uh, that's very dangerous. Um, and if you are too proud to humble yourself and say, hey, I really don't know how to do this, that equally becomes dangerous, especially <laughs> and most importantly, in a job where people's lives are on the line. And uh, and this is where I started screwing up. I started allowing my ego and my arrogance to get in the way. And instead of slowing down and asking people for help, um, you know, I had young bucks around me who had been in combat. I, I guess, felt insecure and was like, hey, man, you know, I've been around longer than this guy. So I shouldn't I'm not going to this guy asking him for advice, um, which is just stupid. But 
that's uh, unfortunately that was the road I went down. And, and as often happens when you're struggling, because what was starting to happen is it was damaging my credibility as a leader. I was starting to make mistakes and uh, and alienating myself from the guys because I wasn't really asking for help. I was just kind of hanging on too tight with, you know, ego. And the other thing that I was doing was I was uh, drinking way too heavily to try and deal with, uh, my stress. So all these things were kind of compounding, mm-hmm. um, and, and at the end of the day, damaging my credibility as a leader. So all that came to a head, um, in, in, uh, when I deployed to Afghanistan in 2005 and made a bad call on a mission and thankfully nobody was lost. Um, you know, nobody was killed, um, because of that bad decision on that mission. And I'm not going to get into all the details because it would take us way long. Uh, if you want to learn about it, go read my book, the Trident. I get the, the, the whole book is really built around this story. Um, this, this leadership, uh, mistake and then redeeming myself. That's what my, uh, my first book is about. But the bottom line is I made a mistake and, uh, and, you know, instead of owning it, I pushed back against it. You know, they were like, Hey, that was a really bad call. You could have potentially killed yourself. You could have killed other guys, you know, with the decision that you make. And instead of, you know, taking a step back and putting my ego and arrogance away, I was like, Hey, screw you. I did the right thing. And the reality was I had not. Yeah. Um, so, uh, because I pushed back so hard and because of these poor decisions I'd been making over the last, you know, two years, basically, uh, coupled with the, you know, poor decisions, you know, with drinking, which the guy, you know, the guys and my leadership had seen, uh, I had quite a few people in the SEAL teams, you know, my, my people I work with who said, Hey, get rid of this guy, kick him out, get rid of him, wow. take his, take his trident, which, uh, the trident is the SEAL emblem. And uh, it's really, really, really hard to earn that emblem. There's probably only about 12,000 people in the United States who have ever earned the right to wear the seal trident. Um, So to be told that you don't measure up and we want to take that from you was probably the, the greatest blow that I've ever had in my life. And I'll never forget when I walked out of that meeting Um, I was in Afghanistan and I went back to my room and I sat down in my uh, room in this old abandoned Russian building that we had converted into our um, headquarters element. And uh, I had probably, I don't know, a 10 by 10 room and to the left was my bed and across uh, um, and and I was sitting in my chair kind of near the foot of the bed and directly across from me was a desk. And to the right of my chair was a um, we call it a gear tree and basically my body armor and weapon and magazines and helmet and all that stuff was kind of hanging on it right to the right of my chair. And I remember sitting down in that chair thinking to myself, my, this is it. My life is over. Like everything that I ever set out to do has been destroyed. And, um, I was like, I, I got nothing left that I remember. Um, my, my pistol was hanging, on that gear tree to the right. And I remember pulling it out and, um, um, seal teams, uh, used the six hour P two, two, six, nine millimeter pistol, 15 round magazine. And, um, and I, man, I know that weapon backwards, forwards. I mean, uh, to this day, I own five of them. 
um, because I'm so comfortable with that gun. I put so many rounds through it and I pulled it out and I knew it was loaded because overseas and in the combat theater, we always stayed loaded depending on anything, you know, because we never knew what would happen. And, uh, but I press checked it and that is, uh, it's a weapons, um, um, it's a move you can do with your weapon where you basically uh, slide and you pull the slide back just a little so that you can see the round in the chamber to confirm that it is definitely wounded. But it's it's a very subtle move. It's not designed to fully pull the because you don't want to eject the round right. out of the uh, out yeah. of the weapon. So I did a press check and then I put uh, I put that pistol in my mouth and I was getting ready to pull the trigger um, and across from me probably only about four or five feet was uh was my desk and there were pictures of my wife and kids uh my um my um uh my daughter my youngest daughter was um not even one yet and my middle daughter was uh two uh almost three and my son would have been five and I remember looking at those pictures with that gun in my mouth thinking, what the fuck are you doing? Um, and I, and I stopped and I was like, what, what, uh, what message are you sending to them? What is this really going to solve? I mean, no matter how bad rock bottom you really think you're at, um, what, what, what are you doing? Wow. So I put my pistol away and I, uh, got up. And I walked, uh, I walked out of the camp and went over to, uh, the chaplain's office and basically walked into the chaplain <laughs> and said, Hey man, I really can use some help. And I basically laid out the whole story. I said, Hey man, messed up, made all these mistakes, made this bad call on a mission, went to this meeting where basically they told me tomorrow they're going to decide my fate. And, uh, you know, so there are several guys that are like, you know, they want to take my trident <laughs> and the chaplain goes, all right. He said, so let me get this straight. He said, so they told you at this meeting that tomorrow morning, they're going to tell you what your fate is. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, so why would you kill yourself tonight? Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's a good point. He's oh. like, you don't even know what they're going to say yet. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Wow. So, um, <laughs> put it yeah. into perspective. I, I mean, I was, I was getting super emotional a second ago, but like to have someone kind of just come out and like put it into perspective like that. It, I don't know. That's, that's, pretty I don't want to awesome. say it's funny, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. At the same time. No, it was funny. And I mean, good, God bless him, man. Um, right. I'll be honest. I, I probably need to go find that guy. Cause, uh, I've managed to track down a lot of people in my life and I've told this story multiple times and I, it just dawned on me that I, I don't even know who that chaplain was. I'm going to have to track him down. Cause, uh, yeah. Anyways, it, it definitely kind of jarred me awake and I would, and I went back to the meeting the next day and, uh, and they did not take my trident, although they did, um, they did instill some pretty tough punishment on me to try and to, to, uh, iron me out, if you will, or basically get my head back on straight. The humble light a fire on your ass, right? Get, get your shit straight. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And, uh, and one of the things that come out of it was they sent me to us army ranger school and got back from the deployment. 
And, uh, and I'll be honest, I was bitter about it. I'd love to tell you that I came out of that, uh, meeting and this whole rock bottom moment and, you know, woke up and was like, yes, I got a second chance. But oftentimes when you're down deep, uh, in a hole, it takes a little while to climb out and start to recognize things. And I was Mm -hmm. still a little bit in denial. I still saw myself as the victim. And uh, was just bitter. And it wasn't until I got to ranger school um, where some other things happened. Um, (laughs) I almost, uh, well, uh, I'll tell this quick story because it's a pretty important story. Technically, I quit ranger school for a a few moments. Um, I was, well, for about 12 hours. um, and, And I've never quit anything in my entire life. Um, and, and there's a lot that kind of led up to this moment, but the bottom line is I lost my temper, um, and the ranger instructors were giving me some shit about it. And basically I told them, you know, kiss my ass, you know, you can have this course. And they were like, you quitting? And I was like, yeah, I'm out. And, uh, they were like, Roger that, you know, they were rather gleeful to see a seal, uh, quit and leave, you know, there's a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of inner service rivalry between us. And, um, I guess so I ended up, yeah. So I ended up, and, and I'll be honest, I mean, there are some seals out there and I was probably one of them when I was younger who are fairly arrogant and probably, um, are pretty cocky towards other member, other services. And I'm sure there was a lot of that that played into that whole scenario. But um, bottom line, you know, the next day I had to go see the Ranger Colonel, the guy in charge of the school. Great guy, uh, Colonel. His name was KK Chen, and I have reconnected with him. He went on to become an Army general, had an amazing career, and retired. But uh, when I went and met with Colonel Chen, uh, basically I laid out this sob story that, you know, I'd been thrown under the bus and I got myself in trouble. And, you know, I was never going to be able to redeem myself and all these other lies that we tell ourselves when, when things are going bad in our life. And, um, and you know, there was nothing he could have said that would have changed my mind. And I think he recognized that, but he ended up reaching out to a senior leader, um, who had been a mentor of mine and, you know, amazing fate, serendipity, God moment, whatever your belief system is, the chances that he happened to be friends with the one guy that I would listen to because there was no one else that I wanted to talk to. I didn't even really want to talk to him, but you know, Colonel (laughs) Chen reached out to him and I remember telling him, uh, you know, when he, when he came on the phone, his name was, uh, Captain Vince Peterson. And I said, Hey, sir, I said, I've messed up. I've made too many mistakes. I said, the guys are never going to allow me to come back and lead them again. I said, I think the best thing for me to do is just leave. And he said, you know, red, he said, uh, the reality is this. He said, people will follow you if you give them a reason to, he said, so what you need to do is get back in that course kick it in the ass and then come back to the seal teams and give these guys a reason to follow you. And that kind of, that was the epiphany moment I needed uh, this punch in the face to say, Hey dude, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get off the X. And the X is a slogan in the military. It's a big thing around what I speak on. Uh, It's the point of attack. It's the point of incident. It's point of depression. It's, it's any point of crisis or adversity in your life. And so many of us get on the X in our lives. And I've been on the X ever since I made that bad decision in Afghanistan. And I've been sitting on it. And the reality is the longer you sit on the X, the harder it is to get up and get going. 
And um, it's like quicksand. It just pulls you down. And I realized I'd been sitting on the X, man. I'd just been feeling sorry for myself, this victim mentality. And that moment in that phone call um, with him made me realize, dude, yeah, let's go. So um, got up and I won't say it was easy. It actually was the hardest road I've ever walked. It took about um, at least a year and a half. I, 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 I crushed Ranger School, did really well came back to the SEAL teams and it wasn't like a light switch got thrown on and the guys were like, Hey man, welcome back. You, <laughs> you graduated Ranger school. We're so glad to have you back. Uh, it was like, dude, we hope that you fail in a lot of things. Cause we don't want to work with you. Um, because you know, I had, I had made those, you know, I'd made those mistakes. I had, you know, credibility is a very precarious thing and it only takes some, especially in a community where, uh, lives depend on the people around you making good decisions. So they, they, they weren't even welcoming in the sense to say, Hey man, welcome back, but prove yourself kind of thing. They already just were just, you know, negative right out of the gate. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely negativity. Um, but I will say this, I have a huge shout out to my boss, uh, who later became a great friend, a phenomenal SEAL. He's still active duty now. Um, he he took me both under his wing and he sat me down when I came back and he said, hey, man, I don't care what happened in the past. All I care about is you driving forward and doing well. He yeah. said, I'm going to give you plenty of opportunities to lead. And he said, I expect you to step up and lead. And he said, and there'll be times that you, you need to follow. And he said, and I expect you to follow. And, and, and he did uh, as over that next year and a half, um, and this was the level of leader he is. This is really when you start to look at leadership, mm -hmm. uh, when you can move away from, hey, I have to be the leader to um, let me really trust my people and let me allow other people underneath me to lead because it's going to make all of us better. And there were a lot of situations where we were in training and really um, you know, he was the number one, I was the number two in charge of all of our guys. And there were frequent times we'd be doing really complicated training scenarios. And really it was his job to run it. He was number one, but he would say, Hey, red, you're in charge now you got this. And he would step out and he'd stand with the training instructors as we'd run through these really complicated scenarios. And it was a huge, huge thing because he knew exactly what he was doing. He, he was accomplishing two things that I really needed and our, our assault troop really needed. One, it was building my confidence back mm -hmm. that I had the ability to do this. And two, it was building the troops confidence that I had the ability to do this. And they started to see, hey, man, this guy who we thought was a total shit show, uh, he's actually making good decisions. He's actually... And I think maybe we can trust him. And it took a long time. It took about a year um, to win some guys over, probably a year and a half to win the majority. And to this day, there's still guys in the SEAL teams that hate my guts. And I'm fine with that. You know, <laughs> I know I can look myself in the mirror and say, hey, man, you did everything right. Yeah. You, you, you got yourself back on course. And um, so, yeah, that's this crazy story. And it's not um, it, it's the, the biggest thing I want to tell people that are out there that are struggling is it's never too late to come back. It's never too late to get off that X. Um, it, you can always come back. It is going to be a hard road. Um, it's never going to be perfect. It's going to be messy. There are going to be times when, you know, when when you're like, what the hell is going on? You know, why did I decide to do this? But that's OK. You know, mm -hmm. you just sometimes you just got to go to bed and say, OK, I'm going to attack this again tomorrow. 
And uh, and that's kind of how I looked at it every day, just driving forward and fast forward. Go ahead. I want to talk about the X, right? Um, A little bit more because I think, well, we're going to, we're going to get into it more also because there's one, and and you can tell me if you want to, because there's a second component of this story that's pretty important. um, And that is just when you think you're off the X, sometimes you get hit with a second ambush. Go for it. Let's hear it. So I, I redeem myself. So, you know, here I am, you know, failure, redemption, redeem myself. I get uh, sent to Iraq with uh, my troop, which is just amazing. Probably one of the best group of guys I ever had the honor to work with. And we're operating in the Ambar province of Iraq in 2007, which 06 and 07 were probably some of the heaviest fighting we saw in Iraq. And we were tasked with going ever mid going after mid-level and high value Al Qaeda and insurgent leaders. And, Every night we were doing it. Uh, we were we were doing missions virtually every night. Very successful deployment. So here I am, this guy that failed, messed up as a leader, came back, redeemed myself, and now I'm operating at the top of the game, um, doing really well. Career back on track. I'm uh, I'm I'm screening for the next level SEAL team. I'm, um, you know, um, I'm being groomed for the the, high, the next higher levels of leadership positions, all these different things. And, and uh, you know, I'm like, man, life is great. So we are one week from going home from deployment in uh, September um, of 2007. And we launched on a mission to go to after a senior Al-Qaeda leader. And to make a long story short, uh, my team and I walked into a very well-executed ambush. And multiple members of my team and myself included were all shot up. I was shot eight times uh, between the body armor and body. Um, I took two rounds in the left elbow, which pretty much almost took my arm off. They talked about amputating in the hospital. Uh, and I took a round in the face. Oh, my God. Um, it hit me. Um, I had turned everything hit me to the front and then I turned to try and move back to, uh, one point of cover cover, meaning something that'll stop bullets. It was back behind me where the guys had gone and I caught around in the face that hit me right in front of the ear, traveled through my, um, my cheek, uh, and exited the right side of my nose. So it almost took off my entire nose It blew out my right cheekbone. It blew out my orbital floor. It broke all the bones above my eye. It, it shattered, um, it broke the head of my jaw, shattered my jaw down to my chin. Wow. Um, needless to say a lot of damage. So fast forward 96 hours later, I find myself laying in a hospital bed in Bethesda, Maryland. And, and, I don't want to say it was the same as that the end moment I felt when I was ready to take my life in Afghanistan. It was a different the end moment, but I felt the same. And I felt like I was laying in that hospital bed, having doctors and nurses just uh, overwhelm me with information like, hey, Lieutenant Redmond, you know, you've been all shot up and um you're trached, you're wired shut. We're feeding you through a stomach tube. Uh, you have no use of your left hand. You've suffered massive nerve damage. Uh, you took two rounds in the left elbow. Your elbow is totally destroyed. We're thinking about amputating your arm. Um, you obviously have massive damage to your face. It's going to take years to put you back together. And they were telling me all this. I'm like, man, what the hell? You know, I just just climbed out of this deep, dark, black hole. And now you're telling me I'm back in another one. Yeah, I can't, um, I can't even. Like, oh my God, yeah. So, but here's the the good news is this: 
that prior um, ambush, you know, that leadership failure and having to climb out of that really, I'll be honest, set me up for success for my injuries because I took a breath in that hospital room. And and I'll tell you this, it didn't happen instantly. It took about, you know, I don't know, seven to 10 days to really digest everything that had happened and uh, and say, okay, you know what? You've been through worse. You, you know, you just climbed out of that, the, the darkest hole that you could have where you had guys say, take his trident and you earn back their respect and you earn back your ability to be a leader in that community. So you're going to do the same now. It's just a different road and you're just going to drive forward. Um, you got to get off that X. And um, so there was one final thing that happened. Uh, during this time, you know, so maybe a day or two or right around the time that all this was going on, I had a couple of people that came into the room and they, uh, we were having a conversation and then the doctors and nurse came in and they stepped off to the side of the room and they were still having a conversation with themselves while the doctors were talking. But I overheard parts of their conversation and their conversation was this, Oh, what a shame. What a pity. We send these young men and women off to war and they come back broken and battered and they're never going to be the same. They're never going to be able to get back out there and achieve the American dream or find success. (laughs) And I remember when they all left and I was like, is that it? Is that me? You know, am I, am I going to be the, you know, the Lieutenant Dan and, uh, in Forrest Gump, you know, <laughs> oh this broken, battered veteran. Who, I feel like, bad laughing, but anything. Well, it's, <laughs> hey, man, I mean, you know, you gotta be able to laugh in the shit. dark moments. I mean, <laughs> so, uh, but, but I'll be honest, Brandon, I mean, I was like, I thought about it for a few minutes and then I was like, not only no, but hell no. I was like, I will never allow someone to like, uh, I won't, I don't ever want to be the victim again. I was the victim. I allowed myself to be the victim from those leadership mistakes. And it took me way too long. I mean, it took me practically five months to finally pull my head out of my ass and figure out, Hey dude, <laughs> you were the reason for all those problems. Um, you know, so I'm not going to allow that to happen here. And when my wife came back into the room, I told her, or I wrote to, you know, I've signaled to her. I couldn't talk. All I could do is write. And I signaled to her and she gave me my pen and paper. And I said, never again, never again. Am I going to allow someone to come into this room and feel sorry for me or have pity for me? Uh, Because I refuse, refuse to have pity for myself. And then I wrote out this statement and it said, attention to all who enter here. If you're coming in this room with sadness or sorrow, don't bother the wounds that I received. I got in a job that I love doing it for people that I love, defending the freedom of a country that I deeply love. I will make a full recovery. What is full? That is the absolute utmost physically I have the ability to recover. Then I'm going to push that about 20% further through sheer mental tenacity. This room you're about to enter is a room of fun, optimism, and intense rapid regrowth. If you are not prepared for that, go elsewhere. And and uh, we signed it to management because I don't know why. I guess it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> In the same sense as like, eh, please, like, throw away what your stuff here and there signed management. Jeez. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I read, exactly. I read that so, letter because you sent it to me and I, I was I, I was oh, hoping yeah, you went yeah. there. Yeah. So and here's the bottom line that I try and tell people, let's bring it all full circle. Um Man, this life is hard Um, and you're going to get hit by life ambushes. That's what I call them. And I know there's a lot of people out there that may be listening to this and be like, dude, what are you talking about, man? And maybe, you know, not everybody has been in the middle of a fierce firefight where they're being shot at by a machine gun and bombs are going off. Some of you out there may that are listening to this, but most people have not experienced this. But the difference is um, everyone lives in their own personal hell. 
when you're going through depression and trauma and life ambushes, um, it may not be actual bullets and bombs from a battlefield, but it is the bullets and bombs of life. And it hurts almost the same. And if I hooked you up to medical devices that measured heart rate and breathing and brainwave activity and all that stuff, it would almost look identical because the brain doesn't say, oh, I'm being shot at. The brain says I'm in a life or death, you know, uh, you know, um, rock bottom moment of my life. And, and, and there's nowhere I can go. It's a the end moment, as I call them. And, uh, but the good news is in it is you have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice. Uh, and that choice is to get off that X and drive forward and it hurts and it's painful and it sucks, but it's so much better than the alternative of just laying there and, and accepting that victim mindset. And unfortunately so many people sometimes will lay there and Mm -hmm. finally decide that the only way out, you know, is that, that route that I almost took in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. I'm speechless almost, but there's no, like that's the perfect way to describe being in, in that moment, being in that situation and, and, and giving, and giving perspective to other people that are, you know, you mentioned the brain, like they're, they're there as well. You know, my, we talk about aha moments all the time on the show when people hit rock bottom and they're like, Oh, when did you finally decide to do something about it? You know? And, you know, for me myself, like, you know, the, my, my rock bottom, which is not like a really bad rock bottom compared to yours. But, you know, if you're just thinking about the brain, I was convinced that uh, I was having a heart attack because of my anxiety. And it, it took me going, just leaving my, my work and getting in, my, in the car and going to my doctor and no appointment and just saying, just let me the fuck in there. And I needed to talk to him. And once he said I was okay, everything just disappeared. So in that, at that, that moment, I'm like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta do something about this. So, you know, that's, that's a, you know, lesser comparison to what you've gone through. Like, thank you for everything you've done in your service. Um, but, but to your point, the brain, I mean, the brain is the brain, right? We can't, we're not doctors. We can't fix ourselves. We can't self-medicate. We can't do any of those things. Um, it takes that, it takes the guts and the effort and the mental ability to come out of that funk or get off the X, as you say, to go get the help, uh, embrace humility and realize you're a fucking human being, right? You can't, um, no matter how, how much of a badass you are, like yourself, <laughs> I keep saying that because you are, um, but like, no matter who you are in life, you don't get this special ticket or card in the mail that makes you like, okay for life. Like you still deal. Life is, life is a a pain. Life is a bitch. Life, life will send you through roller, roller coaster. That's, you know, sometimes fun and sometimes really not. So damn. Yeah, man. What a story. I, I, I definitely, uh, I mean, I'm inspired right now. Uh, that's, that's incredible. Yeah, man. And now, I mean, I'm just, I feel blessed because I'm trying to teach other people, you know, those those philosophies, those principles, you know, how how do you get off the X? I mean, I have a a system now that people use, um, you know, you met Sean Lopez. Sean went through a program I was running that no longer uh, is in existence. It was called the Overcome Academy back when I was running my nonprofit. But, um, you know, we taught them the react methodology. But now the good news is, I'm teaching everybody else that. And as a matter of fact, I'll be launching a new program in 2021 
And it's built around this idea. It actually takes all these different principles, everything that I've talked about, and it puts it into one program. And, um, and it's built around this idea that in the military, we have point men. And a point man, it's their job to lead us to where we need to go. And, uh, and they're experts in navigation. But they're, they're much greater than that. They're, they're leaders and they're also incredibly attuned to the environment. They're attuned to the risks that are out there. They recognize signs that there's going to be a problem. But even more than that, they know how to lead people, how to get someplace without, you know, I, I could tell someone to, if we needed to go from A to B and in between A and B, if we just took a straight line, you know, there was barbed wire and, and, you know, pits of fire and all this <laughs> stuff, you know, and there are people, Hey, you know, I know them, God love them that would walk straight through all of that. So by the time you actually get to your destination, man, people are smoke checked. They're, they're cut and bleeding and torn and bruised and battered. And they don't have any energy left to do what needs to be done at the destination. Well, great point men have the ability to not only think about themselves, they think about others and they figure out the right path to get where they need to go. So this program that I'm launching called point man for life, it is all about how you can become the point man for your own life. Um, I love the saying, I'm actually having a shirt made, be the light in the darkness, man, mm -hmm. be the light in the darkness, be that point, man, not only for yourself, but for others around you. You know, they look to you because you are the leader. You set that example and it's hard. It's hard to be the leader, but you know, if you know the systems, if you know, if you can figure out what your mission is in this life, and that's part of uh, the program is to help people identify what is that mission to understand what is your destination and your destination is uh, that long-term goal or goals, whatever they are in your life. And then the course that you have to take, those are the short-term goals. Those are the, the waypoints along the way. Mm -hmm. And then, and then the last component or not the last component, but an additional component to be able to understand all that is what is your life's mission objective? And I talk about that in the aspect of all of us are going to die. It's guaranteed. I mean, it's the one thing that you're never going to get out of this, you know, you're never going to get out of this life free, man. We, nope. we, at some point we're all checking out. Yep. So the question is, what is the legacy you want to leave behind? And, uh, and, and today's the day to start working on that, man. It's never too late because if you die tomorrow, what are people going to say? What are they going to say about you? So right. if you can live your mission, if you can identify the destination, if you can set that course, and then you also know how to manage the risk and look for the indicators, dude, you now are becoming a point man for life. Um, and, and then, you know, you have the ability, uh, because it's part of your brain process to deal with the life ambushes when they come along to use, you know, what we talk about the react methodology to get off that X mm -hmm. and get back on course. Mm -hmm. Powerful, man. Powerful. Uh, I, I would probably want to be part of the program, to be honest with you. Um, it sounds amazing. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I say this a lot too, you know, like, uh, everybody that we've had on the show, um, you know, I told you it's always storytelling. There's no like script or anything like that. It's just, you know, just, it's a conversation. It's always a conversation. And unfortunately, all of us have had, ha we've had to go through something 
terrible in life to become genuine and for our words and, and, and how we inspire and lead and all that kind of stuff to matter. It gives it authenticity. And, uh, what you're doing is amazing, man. It's, it's, it's seriously incredible. Um, to, I mean, you know, I just look at like your social and stuff like that and you just seem genuinely really happy and proud to be doing what you're doing and your family and your family man and all that kind of stuff. And those are the qualities like I aspire to be, you know, I want to be, you know, that type of husband, human man, person, everything. And, uh, you know, it does, it does take, it does take a moment in time. Cause look, I was, I was, I, I was an asshole at some point in my life, you know, for a prior majority of my life before I became the person that lifted people up and coached up and, uh, didn't respond to negativity and always, uh, chose to, to reinforce people with positivity instead of negativity. But it took, it took failing over yeah. and over and over. To get there. And that's, that's part of the humility, man. And if, when people can embrace humility, you can, you can become a better person. Your life will change when you do that, when you become selfless and it's about other people and not just yourself. Like when you take yourself back to those times when you were making mistakes, we've all been there, whether the magnitude of what you did or what was going on at that point and, and, and your responsibility and you protecting this great country that we live in or, you know, me or someone else in the job place or at home, you know, playing the victim when they just need to own up to their shit and just become a better person. And that's, that's huge to me. That's, that's, that is a, that is a huge makeup of my, of my personal just ethic and damn kudos, man. I I loved your story. (laughs) Well, and brother, I mean, and it ain't perfect. I mean, you know, yes, I put out tons of positivity and I, but I, but I'm not perfect, man. I still struggle sometimes because we're human. Mm-hmm. Like so I, I can't stand some of these, some of the people out there that it is always, you know, you know, a hundred percent like, yeah, this is how you do it. And I'm like, okay, maybe, but dude, you're not Jesus Christ. Right, I mean, right. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> Nobody. Like, I guarantee you have moments when you're not perfect. So in my program, I teach, hey, man, our goal is 90% of the time. Man, I'm thrilled if you're killing it 80% of the time. Right. You know? Right. Uh, You know, and if you can get to 90% of the time, you're better than shit. Probably 100%, you know, (laughs) a huge part of the population. Yeah. But, but like, it's hard, man. There's, we have our bad days still. We all, we all do. Well, I I, I try to, my, I define a bad day as that. So that's so funny. I've tried to get rid of that phrase, bad day. All right. And I say hard days and tough days, but I, I reserve bad days for, for those catastrophic events, bad days right. are reserved for the ambushes that are coming. I try to, and, I try uh, to chalk them up to challenges. Like that was a challenging day or I'm having a challenging time, but yes. I also lean into, I'm just in a funk and my wife will be like, why What caused it? And I'm like, oh, babe, I just don't know. I'm just in a yeah. funk and I can't I've explain had those it. Too. So yeah, I get it, man. I get it. Yeah. So, but at the end of the day, we just, we grind forward, man. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, everything that I teach, I created it for myself. Right. That's the reality. 
I created it for myself to help me after I got out of the military and to figure out how to drive forward. So, I mean, I use these things in my own life. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I'll have a tough day and I'm like, you know, or I'll get in a funk and I'll be like, dude, you have to get off the X. Exactly. Like right yeah. now you're on the mental X, you know, you're all this negativity that's swirling in your mind, this ruminating, you know, this bullshit that's telling you can't do this, you can't do that. Or, you know, this isn't happening because this person doesn't like you or whatever it is, whatever lies we tell ourselves. I'm the like, X dude, get can off. be anything, right? Uh, well, absolutely. They can be, I, I define ambushes come in three forms. They, they come in micro, which is the most common. And the micro ambush is that little ambush. You talk about being in a funk, that's a micro ambush. That's that little voice in your head that's like, oh, you can't do this. Or why are you even trying? You know, you're not big enough. You're the wrong race, creed, color, demographic. Dwelling. You know, you're too dumb. Whatever it is. Yep. Yeah. Dwelling, um, you know, um, the conspiracy theories we make in our mind. Oh, you haven't achieved this because people are sabotaging you. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever it is, these lies we create, those are micro ambushes. And, and, the, and the reality is, man, those micro ambushes can be the most deadly. Right. Because if you buy into them, that is where it can easily suck you down to where you don't get up. You see, you get this victim mentality. So those are the ones you got to get off the X fast. Yeah. Uh, the second, the second level is, uh, is minor ambushes and these, I define them as schedule disruption. So it's something big enough in your life that it totally disrupted your schedule. Um, um, it could be, I don't know. A big example that I often give is like, you know, maybe you're a one car family and suddenly the car broke down and now you're scrambling both you and your wife work and you're scrambling to figure out how do we get to work? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we make things happen? And uh, it's a major inconvenience and it can create a massive amount of stress on people. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it, 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 you know, several years from now, it won't be that big of a deal. You know, right. it's just something you got to deal with and figure out. And it's just a pain in the ass. Just adversity. It's a schedule disruption. Yeah. Just adversity. And then the last one are the major life ambushes. And those are the ones that will forever leave mental, physical, uh, mental, physical, emotional, or financial scars. And usually it's a combination of multiple. And, and these are the things like, um, you know, um, you know, bankruptcy or divorce mm-hmm. or, personal injury or illness or sexual trauma or, um, just tragedy. Yeah, exactly. Tragedy. I mean, the things that, you know, you will always carry those scars with you, you know, for the rest of your life, unfortunately, you never fully recover from them. Right. Um, you just learn that they, they can make you better if you learn how to learn from them and drive forward. And, uh, and thankfully, you know, in life, uh, you know, there's only a handful of those, uh, usually most people, you know, we were, we were trying to come up with a number. We figured that most people go through about five. Um, I'm 45 now. I've been through three, three major life ambushes in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, but yeah, man, those little ones, those micros, they'll get you deadly. They'll get you. They will get you. They will get you, man. I, I, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Um, uh, just so inspiring and so happy to have you. Uh, this story is so, it's so important for people to hear, uh, and to see how you came out of it and, and how positive you are. I mean, 
it's just it's life changing and everything you everything you preach and sort of instill and I mean it's just it's it's amazing and it's it's such a it's such an inspiring situation for people to look up to because you you and I both know they're out there these people are out there they're they're in the dumps they're in those they're they're on the X like 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 you say they're they're they need the help they need the inspiration to get themselves off the floor and make things better make it better like hey you know, no one's going to help me get out of this rut. No one's going to do it for me. I need to do it for myself. And it's funny that you started doing all these things to help yourself and not others, but it turned into others, which is typically how it happens. Same with this podcast. You know, I started my uh, my own blog site because I wanted to get my own emotions out and it turned into people needed one, needed uh, a place to get their emotions out. So it, it was great. But um, I have an, we had another guest who started writing little notes to himself and posting it on Instagram. And it wasn't for anybody else. It was for himself to read it, post it to the public and then live up to it. And then it became inspiration for everybody that followed him. So there's so many like-minded stories that are like this. And this one is just so powerful. And man, I applaud you. And I thank you so much for uh, spending the time with us. Hey, my, my honor, brother. I appreciate it. Um, if, if anybody out there, you know, likes, likes, you know, the things that I talk about, I mean, I talk about them all the time on my, on my socials. Uh, you can find me uh, on Facebook and Instagram, Jason Redmond, WW. Uh, I'm on Twitter under the same handle. I've got uh, YouTube. Uh, so I've got a YouTube channel that I put videos on. Um, every Monday I put out something called Monday Muster and it's just a motivational video to start your week. You know, it's usually anywhere from a, I don't know, seven to 10 minute video, just about, everything um you know t- tomorrow it's going to be about uh <laughs> how short this life is and how you you know <laughs> we procrastinate everything so we, yes, you know we you do. gotta you gotta go man you gotta go you gotta go after your hopes and dreams now because yep. someday you're gonna wake up and you're gonna be like dude where did it all go mm-hmm. uh, i'm not done I, de- so, <laughs> I definitely don't want to live with regrets or yeah. wonder about the what ifs the worst things in life or the risks you don't take man i live by that Amen. I, I do. And it's so true. And, you know, it's funny, you know, I, I don't know why for a lot of people, you got to hit a rock bottom moment before you yeah. finally start to appreciate that. So, yep. unfortunately, but, but yeah, if people want to follow me, jasonredmond.com, all my socials, my podcast is moving the needle. And, uh, we, we, uh, I just launched that new podcast and it's interviewing all kinds of amazing people that have achieved a high level of success. And, and despite, trauma and setbacks and they figured out how to move the needle in their life because that's all that life is that's that's all success is right is despite setbacks despite failures despite trauma they still figured out how to move that needle forward over time amazing so all right folks this is jason redmond thank you so much i appreciate you and all that you've done in the time that you gave us i'm brandon uh, I'm Brandon Promo, wherever on social. Uh, thanks for joining A uh, Place for My Head, and we'll see you guys next week. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy. 
Radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans. Experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry. Pro wrestling personality David Penzer. MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. And strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com. 